folks, welcome back. I'm your host, Simon Ward, and this is the High Performance Human Triathlon Podcast, where I can promise that you'll always hear a Yorkshire accent and we will never have any adverts. We chat with our guests about peak performance, fitness, health, nutrition, recovery, longevity, relationships, and happiness, because it doesn't matter whether you want to finish your first sprint triathlon, set a PB at your next race, or just keep turning up until you're in your 70s. Each of these elements has huge significance. These are all of the principles that underpin our SWAT community. We have almost 150 like-minded members, and if you choose to join, you'll be able to access winter training and summer racing plans for all races with a variety of weekly training volumes and catering for all levels of experience. Today, I am so happy to be chatting with Julie Moss. She is the lady who inspired me to take up triathlon and who quite literally has shaped most of my life. She wasn't directly involved, of course, but I'm sure there are many of you listening who have watched the ABC coverage of the 1982 Hawaii Ironman event and saw her literally crawling across the line. By the way, there's a link to that in the YouTube video in the show notes. So we talk about all of this in the conversation. So let's get cracking and hear from Julie. A very big welcome to Julie Moss. Thank you for joining me. Hi, Simon. It's nice to be here. Well, before we start, Julie, I I want to say you were the person who got me involved in triathlon. I'm sure you've heard that. Uh, I don't know. If, well, I guess if you had a dollar for every time somebody told you that, you'd be a very, very wealthy woman. But uh, I can remember watching the NBC broadcast of Iron Man, and it was that whole crawl of fame, which we'll talk about later, and which um, which is the title of your new book. But I saw that, you know, it was just uh, hand in mouth. Come on, can she do it? You know, thinking, would oh, I don't know whether I'd ever want to do anything like this. There was There was mixed emotions from me. And but it got me hooked on the sport of uh, on the sport of triathlon, and I thought one day I need to race in Kona. However, I get there, you know. And then I think it was, uh, and that must have been in the early eighties. It was nineteen eighty two when you did that. I did my first triathlon in nineteen eighty seven. So somewhere between those two dates, I saw that NBC broadcast. And then in twenty seventeen, I got the chance to race in Kona, and I met you there at the legacy party, and we had a little photograph, which I'll I'll put on the show notes, yeah. and uh, we had a chat. And then I met you again recently at um, at this year's edition of, of the Ironman World Championships. And here we are agreeing to do this podcast. So firstly, thank you for getting me into the sport of triathlon. Not only has it been a great journey as an athlete, it's also created a lifestyle business for me as well. So you, you were my total inspiration for that. Well, I'll take full credit for that, Simon, and, and no, happy to do so. <laughs> no, you can, and you, and you should. So it's fantastic to have you on the show. Um, I, I would like to know if anybody's listening, how many of you were also inspired by Julie's, um, oh, it's not Julie's video, the video cast of that 1982 race and Julie's struggle to get to the finish line and everything else. So please feel free to write to either of us and let us know because we've got an idea in store for that as well. At least I have. Um, so Julie, how about your triathlon career? Um, I guess it didn't just start with Kona in 1982. So how did it start? Well, it absolutely started in 1982. <laughs> that was my very first. Oh, year. really? I, I I always thought that you'd, you'd done a couple of prep races before then. Oh, I, I kind of did. But let's just say I had never done the distance of the Ironman swim or bike before I landed in Kona. So how much prep could I have really done? No, I really, um, it's it's pretty comical um, to, to see how little when I, when I actually sat down and, and went over it, you know, for, 
for the book, I did a lot of detail to show how little I was prepared for that Mm -hmm. race, which to me is, um, is kind of one of the the, the things about endurance races that it's, uh, you can come at it from many different, many different ways, but Mm -hmm. eventually at some point you've just got to commit to, uh, figuring out a way to get to your finish line. And, Mm. um, it's as simple as that. You commit to getting to a finish line and you'll figure out a way. Well, let's back in the early days, I think it was 1982 the very first time that it had been in Kona because it moved in that year, didn't it? I think they had two races. No, 1981 was the first year. And I watched the ABC coverage as you watched my race in 1982. I watched in 1981 and it was on the big island and, um, uh, an athlete by the name of John Howard won the race. He's uh-huh. an amazing cyclist. Um, and the poor kid who was trying to trying to win and got parted off on a stretcher from the lava fields was uh, Scott Molina. Yeah. And Scott Molina went on to have an, a fabulous career as a professional triathlete. But I watched that race with the same sort of mixed emotions that you had. I thought uh-huh. it was sort of insanely crazy. Um, it was beautiful to see the, the big island of Hawaii. There was that I thought the men were beautiful. The island was beautiful. But what they were trying to do was um, kind of crazy. And uh, But as the race, you watched uh, more of the, the telecasts, it, I, you, I got sucked in in this really weird way. Not being an endurance athlete, not being a runner, not being a swimmer, and not being a cyclist. Um, I was a California surfer girl. I got pulled into the idea of that race and... Kind of within a few weeks after watching my telecast, I was committed to doing Kona. So back in those days, you didn't have to qualify. So I guess you must have found somewhere, and it would have been a piece of paper, wouldn't it? it wouldn't have been online. You'd have you'd have found an entry fee somewhere or an entry form, probably stuck to a um, probably stuck to a, a lamppost somewhere, or you probably went down to Bob Babbitt's trailer in in uh, by the beach and uh, found one there. Um, I you think were... we wrote right. We wrote to. Okay. Um, to the Ironman organization, somebody got an address and we just sent away for an application. Um, we were accepted. The entry fee was $85. I remember that. And um, no questions asked. No, what is your background? What anything? <laughs> nothing. It was just, thank you very much. We'll see you in Kona. Wow. Amazing to think then how things have developed to the, the, the sort of um, process that you have to go through today to qualify and the sort of five years six years ten years of training people have to put in to slowly make it to a, a qualification spot and then get there and now we've got double days of racing it's uh, I, I bet i mean we'll, we'll talk about this later but you've seen that whole thing grow from those small shoots that that were that there were when you first raced absolutely in my 1982 i think our entire wave, which we all started together, a mass start, was smaller than a lot of the waves I watched on mm. Thursday and Saturday this year in Kona. I mean, I think we had uh, right under 400 people, 300 and something. I mean, it was such a small group that mm. took off in 1982 that, um, you know, I think if we had 10% women, that's not a lot of women no. in the race. No. So. Wow. So can you remember what, what month you entered then? Um, ahead of you know how many months it was ahead of the uh, the actual race that you entered about November I uh, well I, I entered early I think it was I because I was using this as a as a school project I was a PE major um, which is now you call a physiology major um, or kinesiology major so it was a bachelor of science in physical education but mm-hmm. basically kinesiology so I needed a senior project to graduate I was going to a school in the center center of California and they required 
the senior project. So it's got to be something that encompasses your entire four years of education. And when I saw the Iron Man on TV, I thought, well, that's impressive. That that, and I hadn't really put any thought into my senior project, and it was it was due uh, to turn in my my thesis or my idea. And so I just kind of went to my instructor mm-hmm. and said. Um, I'm thinking of doing the Ironman triathlon. And he's like, well, what is it? You know, (laughs) 2.4 ocean, you know, the whole deal. And of course the eyes get bigger and he looks at me and says, Julie, you're, you're, what is your background? Are you a swimmer, biker, runner? No. We said, well, have you ever gone those distances? No. And he just started laughing and he just said, okay, let's, this is going to be fun to see how this turns out. Let's see how this turns out, which in a subtle way, here's my, you know, my, my thesis uh, instructor, my, um, you know, this mentor of mine telling me not to be afraid of doing something ridiculously mm-hmm. hard that I am completely unprepared for. And he's just, let's go for it. That was such a great message to get right off mm-hmm. the bat that don't be afraid to just do something just impossible sounding, but you know, now, now figure out a way to get it done. Let's see how this is going to go. So you'd not done a swim or a, uh, did you say you hadn't done a swim or a run of that distance before? So what, what did you train? No, the, I had done the run. It was about, it was about November. The Ironman in October was February, 1982, February 6th to be exact. And about November, I kind of got that panic. Like I've got to turn in a progress report on, on, you know, the, 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 the science part of it and the, the training part of it. And my log book was pretty empty. And I just, but that's typical. That was a school project. So you'd cram at the end. You don't, you know, that's how I did everything. I, you know, just wait till the pay, kind of like it's, you know, the due dates looming and then get it going. So about November, I looked around for something to do for a run, you know, well, you've got to run a marathon. I'll find a marathon. So I think I found one in late November, um, signed up for it, you know, or basically showed up, signed up the day before and, ran this marathon having never gone over eight miles mm-hmm. you know that was the longest run I'd ever done so to be able to show up for a marathon and just on on guts and get through it um I, I definitely hit the wall at about 20 miles so that that I mean I guess if you've only run eight miles and then you go out and run 26 you hit the 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 wall of mile 20 so you've got six miles of struggling and suffering that didn't put you off at all then well, it kind of did kind of scared me. And I thought, well, I better do another one. That, that was that idea. It comes from a surfing background. You take off on a big wave and you eat it. You've got to go for the next wave. You just got to take off again. You've got to uh-huh. get back, back in the saddle, so to speak. So uh-huh. I signed up for another uh, marathon. And this was down in, in California, the southern part where I went home for Christmas. There was a marathon in early January. I signed up for that. Um, and didn't hit the wall till 23 miles. So I thought, okay, this is progress. And, um, and literally three weeks later was the Ironman. So this is called, you know, throwing three marathons in, in a course of about eight weeks. That's <laughs> not, not typical. And it's, you know, that was jumping up my mileage pretty quickly to be able to handle that. Well, I, I so mean, that was the just... first big air, big air there. As a surfer, you'd be pretty confident with being in the ocean, but still sure. um, swimming 2.4 miles when you're normally lying on top of a board and paddling out um, is, is a different kettle of fish, isn't it? So um, what preparation did you do for the swimming and what preparation did you do for your, your bike ride? 
Well, we didn't have a pool at our high school, so I didn't grow up swimming other than just surfing. So I got in the pool um, my, at my college a couple times and thought this is the most boring thing I could imagine. Uh-huh. So again, I didn't really, I think I got to the point where I could swim a mile and I thought that's good enough. This is just too boring. But once I arrived in Kona, I got there three weeks early and uh, okay. I was able to swim the course every day if I wanted. And that's kind of what I did. Just start swimming the course every day. And, and, no, and, this is, and the cycling cycling. Well, that was, that was kind of um, fun because I was staying for the first week and a half. I stayed um, over towards the Hilo side, Waimea. Uh-huh. And so I'd get a ride uh, from a family member who lived at, worked at Parker ranch, which is just above uh-huh. Waikoloa. Uh-huh. So I'd, I'd ride from Waikoloa down the hill to Waikoloa and then hang a, hang a left to Kona for the next 25 miles. So I did that back and forth every day i didn't oh, have a rental wow. car and that's so a bit of, I was, that i rode that actually, I, I, I cycled that ride from um uh Kavaihai to up, up to waimea this year and it's a real drag up there isn't it and and the same as the road that goes from waikoloa village up, uh, or waikoloa beach up to waikoloa village it's a, it's it's about six or seven miles but it's all uphill and it's just a drag into a bit of a wind it was, especially at the end of the day when I had to scurry up there to catch my, you know, my ride at five o'clock. So mm-hmm. I would come into town on my bike and I would do swim the course. I wasn't really that concerned about running because I had just done a marathon. So I was sort of recovering from that. Mm-hmm. And what happened was I just, I think I just got used to just riding um, three or four hours a day, whatever it was every day. And finally they had two weeks out, they had a time trial of the course. So again, I had to, you know, ride into town that 35, well, it wasn't 35, it was probably 25 and then the t- up the hill. So about 30 miles um, into Kona. Then we did a time trial. So that, now I'm up to about 142 miles that day. Oh, hold and on. So they did it. So, sorry, just to interrupt there. Sorry, Julie. Yeah. They, you did a time trial of the whole course two weeks before the Ironman. Yeah, but I had to ride 30 miles to get oh. to the start of the time trial. Oh, no, I'm, I get that bit. I just It's just a bit about doing this doing this organized time trial of the course. I mean, I know they do the uh, I know do the Hoala training swim now, but that, that's probably an hour to two hours most, isn't it? This is a full day, plus, plus your ride yeah. to get there and back. Yeah. So that was, that was the kind <laughs> of training I did. It was a very concentrated training. Um, on, on a side note here, but you're – um, I was staying out in Waikoloa and two of my housemates for about the first 10 days this year in Kona were a couple of Norwegians and, uh, without name dropping, um, let's just say they rode the course and ran a big chunk of the course, mm-hmm. um, 10 days out. And mm-hmm. then with less than 10 days out, they did it again. So, I mean, these are, but they were highly trained and ready to do that. But I'm just saying it's, um, I sort of fell into this idea of, of doing this big training. So it became just the next thing that I did. I didn't, um, it wasn't kind of that ultra, you know, that endurance mentality. You just go long, not super hard. Mm-hmm. I mean, I wasn't going Norwegian pace, but I certainly um, wasn't afraid of the, of the course when, the, when I showed up on race morning. I've mm-hmm. been doing it to the point where it was just what I did. Mm. What was your what were your thoughts and preparations for nutrition? Because we're talking about forty years ago now, and exactly you know, sports nutrition wasn't really a thing then, was it? No, 
<laughs> you can only imagine. You have water bottles. There's nothing to put in those water bottles but uh, water, or you probably could put Coke. Um, was Gatorade even invented yet? I don't mm. think so. We had uh. something like Gatorade that they were trying to trying out. No, um, it was whatever you could get at the aid stations. So there was oranges, there was bananas, there was maybe Fig Newtons, um, water. For, of course, I think they did have Coke, and mm -hmm. uh, that was it. I mean, my nutrition that I took with me was was a Snickers bar that ended up melting, and I threw away because it was melted. You know, I just, just started to open it. It was a mess and I tossed it. So I threw away any nutrition that I took with me. It was really, it was, we were, we were guinea pigs out there seeing mm. what it was, you know, salt. We didn't think about taking salt. We didn't, I didn't think about any of that. I just, what's going to be at the aid stations. I'll just eat what they hand me. There was no aero stuff then either, was it? Drop handle bars. There was no development on 4% faster shoes. There was no skin suits for wearing in the, um, in the water to help you go a little bit faster. What what were your thoughts on preparations on kit and how did you arrive at that? Or was it because I guess there wasn't that many other people to talk to about what you're wearing on race day? What do you do for this and that? Well, I mean, somebody like John Howard would have been, would have been cutting edge the year before because he was right in the cycling world. I had to tie my shoes. You know, those were the, the little leather shoes you tied. Mm -hmm. We had uh, straps on our pedals to hold our feet in. There weren't mm -hmm. clip-in pedals. Um, I was going to wear just a pair of shorts and a tank top until this gentleman said, no, 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 you can't wear that. It's not aerodynamic. You need to wear a one-piece suit. Um, oh. I said, well, that's great. I don't have one of those. I wouldn't even know, you know, I can't afford that anyway. I'm just a college student doing this on a budget. So he said, let me order one for you. I have a friend in California who makes them. So that's how I got my kit. Um, and yeah, I wouldn't, did it help me? I don't know. I mean, it was just sort of one of those things that it was just another new thing to kind of put on and, and feel like, okay, now I'm racing. Um, I don't, I didn't wear sunglasses. Um, I don't think I trained with sunglasses, didn't have sunglasses. I don't think they made sports sunglasses like that. Um, then my helmet was a skateboard helmet that had all these holes drilled down it. So I thought it would be lighter than a, than a real helmet. So yeah, it was, it was, I, I can't remember if I wore gloves or not. Um, I, I don't think I did. Um, but that, yeah, so that was, that was it for cycling. That was the aerodynamics. No, I sat up on my bars almost the whole ride. Mm -hmm. I never like tucked down into, you know, at all, ever. What was it like on race day in those days? I said, you said there was 400 people. Um, how many spectators well, were there? I can't, I wouldn't, couldn't tell you. I mean, I wasn't paying attention. I mean, I felt like the whole line, Elite Drive, the last part of Elite Drive was lined with people. But no, you didn't see people out there. I mean, mm. you could have been um, on any Saturday sort of racing. The, around town, there was a lot of energy. But that was, um, you would you would say it was, there was nobody there. Probably more people are in the expo than came to watch mm. our race in 1982 on any uh, given day. I, I heard somebody... Uh, talking, I can't remember who it was, was saying that in those early days, they used to weigh you out on the course somewhere. And if you were, if you'd lost too much weight that you were pulled from the race, was, was that before or after you? Um... That must've been before I never stepped on a scale. So okay. thank goodness that would have been, <laughs> <laughs> that would have just been one more thing, you know, to kind of be stressing about okay. asking you to get weighed. <laughs> 
and and what what was the bike course like? Because I know that, that certainly going out of town, the Queen case changed substantially, hasn't it? Until you get up to the airport, um, was was it? Were there still live traffic on the road, or was it all closed off to um, just for the race? Again, I, I, I there just wasn't much traffic in Kona. Period. I mean, uh, it was it was really quiet. They I don't think they needed to close the roads. Mm-hmm. Um, they might have, but I don't think they needed to. It was just really, especially once you got out past Waikoloa at, towards Kauai High and then to Javi, there just wasn't traffic. Mm. And was this the time when you went up to Kiahu then and to the um, outrigger there um, and ran in and out of the pit, or did that change later? Um, no, that was the year we we finished at, I guess it's the outrigger, so the bike ended there. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the first year we didn't do the pit, the pit was added a couple of years later. So yeah, you came up out of that, that long uphill and hit the, um, you know, the elite drive, probably about mile six and a half. If mm. people know mile markers in Kona, mm-hmm. and then you ran that six and a half miles back into town. Then you went up Polani and then you went out, you didn't do the energy lab. You just ran towards, towards the, um, probably the new entrance to, to get into the energy lab now about that far and then turned around there. Mm-hmm. And then just like that. Mm. Wow. I mean, it's it, for me, having been out there, I, I can, I can visualize all these little things and that, that bit where it used to go up to Kiahu, it's a big nasty little climb right at the end of your bike ride and the nasty little start to your run, isn't it? Um, and then you've got that also that little descent down um, at the start of the lead drive from the traffic nice. lights quite yeah. hard on the legs. <laughs> Yeah, try through, and then they threw in that pit. That was pretty nasty. So you went up, down, and then up, down, and it was just—I think it—it it could really throw your rhythm off. But mm-hmm. you know, for the for real runners, um, probably it was good on the legs to just shake it up. So, tell us about your race. Then you've talked about the preparation. Tell us about your race. We we still straying out at Waikoloa by this time. Um, or no, no, no. I was town? back in the coma. Yeah, okay. I was back in coma. So, um, yeah, I just remember distinctly that these this group of welcoming triathletes because there were maybe that many triathletes on the planet at that time and they were all in Kona doing mm-hmm. the Ironman and they were so um friendly everyone was just so um just helpful everyone shared ideas I mean obviously there were a couple people who wanted to win Scott Tinley came to win um at that point, he trained with his brother, Jeff Tinley, um, another amazing athlete, Dave Scott. They all wanted to win. And so those that small, little, tiny percentage of athletes was probably always going to be holding their cards close to the desk. But for everybody else, it was just like this gentleman buying me a skin suit, people telling me how, you know, how to train or how to pace myself and things that I didn't know. I learned a lot. And so... On race day, they weren't so friendly. This whole group of people was really intense. And I forget, you know, that you, what's what you do in practice, you know, by when it comes to the race day, people are are focused, they're serious. And I just thought, wow, you know, this is this is this isn't what I expected. And mm-hmm. so I just it was sort of like, wow, chill out, everybody. You're taking this way too seriously. <laughs> and so I think I just had this chill out vibe. Like, let me get through the swim. And I got clobbered for sure. Anytime you do a mass swim with men and women, you're going to get clobbered. And, um, but about halfway, um, through the swim things like it's seemed to settle down, which typically it still does. Now things settle down a little bit. And then I started getting on the bike and 
I just was having fun. I mean, it was sort of like, I do this, I've done this every day for three mm -hmm. weeks now. There's nothing I haven't done. And having done the full course, I knew what to expect at Javi. I knew the winds were going to be strong. I just had a re really good attitude. Um, I can't, I kind of entered the race with a good attitude. I continued to have a good attitude. I mean, you can, you can sidebar the sports psychology here. Um, I had the perfect race mind for that day. I, it was a beginner's mind. I had no expectations. I was open to whatever came. I was super curious about how it was going to be, especially as the day went on. But I was open-minded and I was in a, I had a good attitude. I was positive. I was upbeat. And that didn't change. The whole bike ride, I remember getting really excited when an ABC camera van would come close to me to film me. I thought, well, I must be doing all right. I didn't really know exactly where I was. I didn't care. I mean, we didn't have computers. I don't think I wore a watch. Um, you just were out there intuitively figuring out how to go a, real, a long, long time. Um, for the I looked at it as this entire day mm -hmm. until I got off the bike. And then they told me I was in second place. And I started to kind of sort of buy into it, drink the Kool-Aid a little bit and started thinking of myself as this racer a little bit. And so I started, to, um, it, there was a mind shift and that developed as the day went on. And by six miles before I got into town, before I started out on the Queen K highway, I was in the lead. Um, and again, that was shocking in a way, totally foreign, but yet it was like, okay, this is, this is what this day is now I'm leading the race for the women. And it wasn't until about mile 18 that, that I was pushing to hold on to this idea of winning that I started to break down. So that, that slow process of you're running aid station to aid station then a couple of miles, you're not making it all the way to the aid station. You're walking a little bit in the middle. Um, that got pretty, that started happening about mile 20, about mile 25. I was not making it all the way to the aid stations. But yet every time I'd start to run again, I was going back to this pace that I thought mm -hmm. I needed to run. Um, it broke down on the, the downhill coming down Polani. It was just this, whatever um, I'd been hanging on to nutritionally, um, glycogen wise, it all just sort of depleted on Pawnee. And by the time I got to, um, I guess, Kuakini, and then I made the ride on Hualai down to Ali'i Drive, I, my legs just, I took one foot, one, one foot the wrong way and I was on the ground and my legs just weren't working. Mm -hmm. And it took me a long time to figure out if I was able to stand up, um, the part that the best part of all that, I mean, that was the worst of it, but the best part of it is I kind of discovered this piece of myself that was going to fight harder than I have fought for anything else. And that came about from this idea that I could be good at something, not just, not just signing up, not just finishing, which is all I asked of myself at the beginning of the day. Now I was asking myself something else to go as hard as I could to win. Mm -hmm. And that's a, that's a layer of self-discovery that comes, I think for most of your athletes, maybe for, for yourself, you peel back this layer and layer of expectations and desires. And what you get down to is the essence of what you're willing to fight for. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times that time you wanted has gone. 
that idea of seeing yourself on the podium has gone. Now you're down to what is it that you are absolutely willing to do. And at that moment on the ground, my legs aren't working. I asked myself that question and I'm willing to do whatever it takes to try and stand up. It wasn't about winning anymore. It was about trying to stand. So you, you've not actually made the turn onto a lead driver at this point. You're still going down while I lie. Yeah. Yeah. I've got about, yeah, about, you know, 50 feet before I can get to a lead drive. Okay. And so what do you remember of that last stretch? I mean, how can you, can you remember how much you were able to stand up and how much of it you were just crawling? Well, I, I do remember it because it's one of those moments that's just burned into, into mm-hmm. my being. Um, and also I've, I've described it enough times that I don't know if it's, the physical memory and the mental memory have merged. So it feels very clear to me, like me telling you now, it seems like I, it could have been yesterday. Mm-hmm. Um, the first time I fell, it felt like it took me, well, there was, a, it was a multifaceted. That first fall, it, everything in my lower GI that I thought I could make it to the finish line to get rid of decided to, one of my legs collapsed, everything in my GI collapsed as well. So now I am a mess. And talk about bananas and Coke and water and oranges mm. mixed into a nice smoothie. And now there <laughs> okay. I am with the ABC cameras just inches away from me. You know, mm. they're jumping out of the van now with a handheld camera and they're on me. And I am laying there just humiliated on one level and fighting with this desire to continue on to try and win something combined now with this inability to make my body work. It was this kind of this, just this circular mind bend of jumping from one thing to the other thing, to the other thing. And finally, what I latched on was basically screw what I look like. I don't care. What I care about is figuring out a way to get to the finish line. And so I just kind of used my arms, you know, after being frustrated and sitting there and kind of falling back and getting up and, and basically having this, you know, this chaotic, you know, pity party, I just went, it just clicked. It was like, use your arms, put your arms out in front of you, put all your weight on your arms and get your legs up underneath you. And that's what I did. And it was this moment of clarity and all this chaos that said, use your arms. Okay. And so once I stood up, that's the part, that's that, that at, of all the confusion and the humiliation and the disappointment, mm. there's this another layer of clarity if you're willing to fight for it mm-hmm. just to quiet your mind and find it and i wasn't my mind wasn't quiet but it broke through and told me use your arms and so when i stood up i started to walk and then that same voice was like if you can walk run which was the wrong voice because if i had just walked I probably would have made it to the finish line in first place, but that wasn't what was calling me. And I was really being, I was just on, you know, fight or flight going on just that intuition of survival. And that voice said, try and run. And so I ran and I made it onto a drive, probably to about the big banyan tree. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, I fell for the second time. Now I know how to get up. I know to use my arms. It takes me a few minutes. I get up, I start walking, and then I try and run. Probably another 50 feet, I fall again. That is the longest stretch that I, I always think now when I see it, it's so short. To me, in 1982, mm-hmm. that 
quarter mile was so long. Mm -hmm. And the third time I'm up, I'm walking. I see my mother trying to hold a layout to me to put on as the, as the champion. And I, I waver off because I thought I cannot physically imagine taking something and putting it around my neck that won't send me back down to the ground. Well, I made it past her about another 10 feet and I fell anyway. Um, and this time now my arms are, are not letting me get up. They just don't have the strength to support my full body. And as I'm figuring that I don't have the option to stand, that's when Kathleen McCartney passed me to run, you know, the 25 feet to the finish line. Mm -hmm. So that, that was another layer was ripped away from me. I'm not going to make up for all this by winning. I'm now going to have to figure out a way to be okay with just getting to the finish line and getting to the finish line now means in that voice again, just quietly because I'm not, I'm not rushing now. There's mm -hmm. no reason to rush anymore. I'm not going to win. That voice just said, crawl. Okay. I'll crawl. And that was 19, 29 seconds. I think it was the difference between Kathleen passing me and me coming in. Mm -hmm. I took me 30 seconds to crawl. That 30 seconds allowed me to just realize that this today, this day, I've discovered something about myself that will has will change my life. I mm -hmm. absolutely, that's what I was thinking as I was crawling the finish line. I shook off the disappointment of not winning and I crossed the line knowing that. I found something deep within myself that was only going to find, I was going to find this way on this day by going through everything that I went through to know that this was, a, this was a touchstone and a guiding point for my life. I really think everyone who does an Ironman distance race or some sort of endurance event finds a piece of that. Maybe not as Maybe not in the way that I did it, obviously, but you find a piece of yourself that you mm -hmm. wouldn't have found any other way. And it's what keeps drawing us back to these races mm -hmm. because we keep finding one more piece and another piece and another piece. And it becomes these points of light that we look to in our lives. Yeah, I, I always think when I'm listening to athletes recount their races and you know, often they're disappointed about this time or that time, but but quite often the reason they don't match their expectations is because they've had challenges, maybe not quite as momentous as yours, but they've had challenges on the day which would have sidelined a lot of people, and yet they've managed to overcome them and get to the finish line. And and as as you say there, that actually tells you more about their character and probably helps them with their mental and physical development than having a blinding day and um, you know rolling over everything really easily yeah it's a hard mindset to switch right especially um you've got athletes you're coaching and that you know what they're capable of you give on the given day in Kona there's so many there's a lot of factors that you can't plan for you can't mm -hmm. train for you have to just adjust to um Kona is such a great uh, it's such fertile ground for allowing athletes to adjust on the fly, to problem solve, to mm -hmm. stick to their plan, but then have to uh, accommodate things they weren't, you know, the unexpected. It's really is an amazing race in that way. Um, people say, oh, you know, you, you never get a perfect race in Kona. Um, 
you know, you look at some of the top athletes and you think, well, their race looked pretty perfect. But uh, obviously, there's always things that um, mm-hmm. that you can't you can't plan for. But what you can plan for is the idea that you are willing to accept what comes your way. You're willing to adjust. You're willing to take everything that's handed to you and make it into an experience that you will treasure. I mean, that that's athletes rarely get to that place. They're yeah. always too concerned about time and placing and, and kind of miss this opportunity to know that every time they start, mm. they have an ch- opportunity to discover something about themselves. It's the, you could write a whole book on just that journey of self-discovery. Mm-hmm. Mm. No, I, you know, when I did my legacy thing, I, wasn't sure if I'd ever be able to qualify and go again. And I thought I can either try and race this as hard as I can and get my best time ever, but maybe I won't. I mean, I've seen lots of people not manage to do that because of all those factors you've mentioned, or I could have the most enjoyable, momentous, memorable day out. And maybe I'll go a bit slower, but what? But in 10 years time, what will be most important to me? And I know now that the memories and that momentous day is way more important than any time I could have done. Um, and it, but it's difficult to articulate that to people. You know, I, I said to people afterwards, look, I, I, I've seen the photographs, but I'm not really bothered about my time. So don't ask me about it. Ask me about the time I had, not the time I did. Um, <laughs> but, but, but it's still well, quite difficult for people to comprehend that, that it's about the time you had, not the time you did. Well, I would say um, a, as a coach, when by this ex- the experience you had, was the time that far off what you would have liked to have done at, on going full on and like having that race that's all out race mentality yeah i'm not sure i mean it was it was a long way off my best time but that best time was set in canada on a temperate day without that heat and humidity and i know i know for a fact that i generally don't race as well in the heat so um you know i don't know i just never went there with a with a performance mindset i went there with an enjoyment mindset um i was with a um uh spent time with an age group athlete who said his he goes hard to qualify. That's, that's, that's mm-hmm. his A race yeah. is yeah. just to qualify. When he comes to Kona, he just relaxes and enjoys it Yeah, because he knows that it's, um, there's a lot of things going on. He's done Kona nine times and he kind of comes with the same idea that, you know, I'm here to mm-hmm. just appreciate the fact that I, I qualified to get here. Mm-hmm. That was enough. That was hard enough. Yeah. I tend to tell people that, Kona, okay, let me see. You did this in Canada. We'll add an hour onto it, and there's your Kona race. Mm-hmm. It's just there's just something about Kona that either you are, you know, just some very blessed person who happens to just do really well in heat and humidity. Like you will mm-hmm. have your peak, your best performance ever in those conditions. Mm-hmm. Whereas in cooler temperate, you might you might suffer. So that's a pretty rare person for so for the most the most part. And I'll take this. This is a quote I heard from Mark Allen. He said, if you have Kona should be your best training day. If you can have your best training day in Kona, that probably will translate to the best race you Mm -hmm. can have in Kona. Yeah. Yeah. And we can all appreciate that, right? We go out on training days and we have these super rides and Mm -hmm. we do a transition run and our brick is just fabulous. And well, if you can have your best training day in Kona, you're going to have a good day. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, how long did it take you to recover? I mean, after after what happened to you in that last, you know, mile or so, did they take you to the hospital or did they just take you to the med tent? <laughs> we had a med tent, but they, you know, they offered me, I think, you know, cold, 
a cold compress, some ice. They didn't have IVs unless you were, you know, you were probably having, you know, some something worse than me. Um, yeah, it was just, it was just kind of like, okay, you good? You rested? Get up now. <laughs> Mm. So I actually had to go take a shower and come back and do an interview uh, for ABC um, within a couple hours. So I I was pretty recovered. I remember sitting down to dinner um, and wanting all I could think of was a chocolate milkshake and a hamburger. And I think they said, oh, sorry, we don't have shakes. It's like, okay. I took two bites of the hamburger and I looked at my mom and said, I have to go. (laughs) Just have to go. (laughs) And so, but by, I'd say a week two weeks. I was, I didn't have anything else to train for. I mean, it was a one and done. It was like, this is, this is, this is it. I'm going to go write up this paper, turn it in, graduate and go on to something mm-hmm. else. And didn't turn out that way. Tell me about how that changed your life and doors that open for you. I mean, clearly, you know, lots of people saw that broadcast and I, and I know for a fact that lots of people were inspired to do triathlon, but there must've been, there must've been a lot of stuff. And I also wonder whether that, whether that um, finish was better for you than Kathleen McCartney, because certainly in terms of legends of Ironman from years past, more people will probably know your name than Kathleen's. Um, fair enough. I think, you know, if you, Kathleen gets the title, you know, she gets the title. Mm-hmm. I got, you know, inducted in the Ironman Hall of Fame. I've had this uh, a career based on, you know, what people saw and how they were moved by it. Um, and it has been a lengthy career. Uh, so, and ultimately, you know, I have to look at that race and say, would I have done anything different to get the win? Um, I know now I could have done things different to get the win, but would that have translated to the kind of attention that the sport got and would I have been a part of that? Um, I guess my philosophy now is things happen for a reason and you have to accept that all parts of, you know, the part that was humiliating for me also led to this part that, that gave me this amazing entree into a sport and, and a sport that quickly turned professional, quickly turned into this lifestyle um, that, and my lifestyle that mm-hmm. was going to last for 40 years. So, um, yeah, I would think that's a fair to say that um, my my finish uh, had more impact than than winning the race. And what about for Ironman? I mean, I think they certainly benefited from all of that coverage, didn't they? Um, but yeah, and how they, they did? Yeah, they they gave they gave you know they said I put the sport on the map. I like to say it took a woman to put Ironman on this on the map, mm-hmm. but. Um, yeah, I mean, that race was uh, February 6th, we raced. Two weeks later, that was the air date. They've never put, Ironman had never put their race on air that quickly. I mean, they worked around the clock to get that all edited and, and put together because of my finish. They knew they had a piece of sports gold. Mm-hmm. And I can say that with a little distance, like if, if it weren't me, they would still think it was, it was a golden piece of a sports moment. And so they worked really quickly. They increased the, the time they gave the Ironman uh, in the past. They gave it maybe a section of wide world sports mixed in with three other sports. They gave mm-hmm. it, a huge chunk of the time mm-hmm. they compose music, especially just for the sequence of me on the run. And 
in slow motion and they've never done that before. They did a lot of firsts um, from a production standpoint. Mm -hmm. And then the response was so huge that they flew Kathleen and I out the very next weekend to go back in the studio with the, the infamous Jim McKay, the, the MC of white Boulder sports and do a follow-up interview because people were so concerned about what happened to me. And so to see me then sitting there the following weekend and doing an interview, and then they replayed the the footage. We couldn't replay back then. We didn't have, you know, any way to see it again. So uh, to watch it again, I kind of started to cry in the studio. Mm, because I I, It was like all those feelings just came back in this way. And I just thought I am the biggest drama queen on crying here. And, you know, Jim McKay, of course, at being observant, he says, oh, Julie, I see you're crying. And I know it's the only second time I've ever seen this. It's really emotional. And so, yeah. And then it was then every other network (laughs) wanted an exotic location for an endurance triathlon. And we were off to the races as a sport. And you as well. I mean, they hopefully everybody leveraged your fame in in helping them with that. So, did you uh, did you get a nice ride for a few years on the back of that event? Oh, I would say, yeah. I mean, I was then invited to do um, other events besides Ironman's events. Um, we have Survival of the Fittest, which was a precursor to Survivor. I was invited to go do that. I was invited to do Battle of the Superstars, so athletes from different sports compete. In, yeah, we we had we had, we had superstars television. We had superstars in the UK as well. So that was, it was just one thing after another. There was a made for TV movie based on my finish um, starring Penny Marshall from Laverne and Shirley fame. And it was just this, it it's just snowballed. But then also there was racing opportunities. We were invited to Nice. We were invited to the Bahamas. We were invited to New Zealand. I mean, we started now becoming these global uh, athletes racing um slowly but surely we were racing for prize money or appearance fees and this is again because television was involved they mm-hmm. had budgets to fly us out put us up pay us so it became a professional sport for the few of us who were there at the beginning it was a pretty pretty wild ride it wasn't it wasn't kind of the you know the structured races that it is now it was sort of like we didn't know what was coming around the corner things were being created and we were showing up to be the first athletes to race these races mm. and how, how long did you keep racing after 1982 about 11 years okay yeah. and what and what have you been doing since i mean you still when i've seen you in kona and you know today you look like you're a picture of health and when i've seen you in kona you look you're always happy and bouncy and lively and enthusiastic so um you've obviously looked after yourself so what, what have you done since you stopped racing because i know that's um, a sort of lo- often a big tipping point for people right. i mean, i think when i i uh I was married for many years to Mark Allen and Mark Allen, obviously uh, he had a career that lasted longer than mine. It lasted about another seven years longer than mine. So I was a wife uh, of a, of a top triathlete for till about uh, 2000. Um, I had my son in 1993. So I was a mom during that time. Um, I had the post Well, there was the post Ironman, like, what do you do? You're fit, but Mm -hmm. you're burned out. So I thought, well, the Olympic trials for the U.S. is coming up in 1992. Wouldn't it be great if I could qualify for the marathon in the trials? And because I'd always, I'd had such a wild beginning with with marathoning, not knowing what I was doing. I thought, what would it be like to actually know what you're doing? Mm -hmm. And 
Uh, the qualifying time for the trials was 2.45. So I tried to do that. And um, in 1991, I went to Boston Marathon and ran a 2.47, 19. And I thought, well, let me see if I can't try again. I think I tried again two more times in Twin Cities and then in an Orange County race um, in here in December. And I didn't get I didn't get as close as I did in Boston. So it was pretty that was a hard time. That 245 was really elusive. Mm-hmm. Um, and but I thought, you know, that I felt pretty good. I mean, I was the 20th woman across the line in Boston that year. And I only know that because I looked at the at the paper, the USA Today on the <laughs> flight home, they listed the top 20 men and women. And there was my name. And I was kind of excited. So I and I was always told, you know, she's a decent triathlete, but she's just not a very good runner. So that was kind of my am I am I really going to believe is that a story I want to believe about myself? I'm not that good a runner. And I thought, you know what? That was a pretty good that was a pretty good placing um, uh-huh. in Boston. That year. So. That I, so I pursued the running for a little bit. Then I had a baby and then it was like, okay, the post baby Iron Man because we can have it all. Just ask Chelsea Sodaro. We can have it all. Mm-hmm. And I, uh, so I had a post baby Iron Man came back to Kona in 1997. Um, then I had a post divorce Iron Man, which is always a good way to kind of, you know, kind of, you know, empower yourself when you're, you're at a low spot in your life. Um, I had then the, um, kind of a reunion triathlon with, uh, Kathleen McCartney. She asked, she was going through a divorce and she needed that empowerment Ironman in 2012. And so I said, I'd help her train and it was about a month into helping her train that I thought, you know what, I'm going to be bombed if she's there racing and I'm watching it mm-hmm. on TV. And so I thought maybe I should just enter. So we came back together instead of being, you know, uh, you know, enemies and, you know, we were now, um, we were on the same team. So that was kind of fun. And that with that kind of opened the door for me. It was like, okay, that was 2012. Um, played around with triathlons a little bit, kind of got into more race announcing. Kathleen and I did some motivational speaking. And then I came back in, in my 50s to really say, all right, I want to I want to pursue this uh, on, a, on a higher level. So I, um, and like, so, you know, from my late mid fifties to my early sixties, I kind of came at triathlons, um, trying to, trying to get on the podium in Kona. And I made it, um, in 2018, my last Ironman, I was third in my age group. So I was happy about that. Mm-hmm. And did everybody be wanting to know, did you level the score with Kathleen in 2012? Oh yeah. Yeah. Not, <laughs> not even, not even close. <laughs> <laughs> well, you mentioned Chelsea there. Um, Chelsea made a fan. I don't, were you, did you go to the awards dinner? Yeah, I, I actually know Chelsea. I spent time with yeah. Chelsea. Uh, we were at the PTO uh, in Slovakia to, together. I was the co-captain for Team USA. Mm-hmm. So I got to know Chelsea there. And I and I know quite a bit about her story. And I spent a couple of evenings with her in Kona over mm-hmm. dinner. Yeah, I, I did a podcast with her. The, um, Jane Hansen from PTO put me on to Chelsea back um, when they did that little mini-series about her. Um, Power of two was it, or power of one? Um, so they did this little mini series about her expecting a baby, and then and then afterwards, mm-hmm. and about returning to racing. I think that was about the same time as P- PTO introduced that whole maternity clause um, right. for the female athletes. And she she um, 
made quite a strong reference to the way that females are viewed in sport and treated and this this whole equality thing didn't she and uh, I know that you've you talked about that earlier on in our podcast and you've written about that do you are you happy and comfortable with the sport what's developing or do you think there's a lot more to do um I think we I think the area that that can be improved now is is the um kind of the endurance lifestyle we're kind of letting women know that it's it's okay to take the time to put into yourself to mm-hmm. develop into an endurance athlete. I think um, that that's where I think some real significant work can still be done to invite and encourage women to um, to pursue the endurance side. I mean, I think short course triathlons, even seventy point threes, are are more lifestyle balance friendly. Um, Chelsea was really um, she was touching on some specifics about maternity leave for professional yeah. athletes. I've been a longtime ambassador for Hoka. The running shoe company has had a maternity uh, leave in place for many years. Um, so it's I think it's really important that way to support the top end. Mm-hmm. But then the trickle down effect is that we mm-hmm. we are saying we respect women on many levels. And but let's let's invite you into this sport and encourage you to get into the sport. And we do that by we are doing that with through your coaching, through your podcast, just sort of um, letting women know that they're valuable members of this community. Mm-hmm. I, I Having been a woman in the sport for 40 years, I felt like being a triathlete early on kind of made me feel like I was on par with any man in the room. Mm-hmm. I mean, can you do an Ironman? I mean, it was sort of like this thing where I, being in, in settings through ABC sports to be meeting, you know, NFL players and and different athletes with Battle of the Superstars. You have a certain cachet when you walk in a room and you are an Ironman. I mean, it's, that's not something anyone can do. So I sort of had this piece of my psyche in place at the age of 23 that I didn't see myself as less than um, in, in very many circumstances. Maybe intellectually, if I was talking to a NASA scientist, I'd feel a little on the back foot. But, um, but could he do an Ironman <laughs> or she? do an Ironman. So I, I'm, I really feel like women are empowered in this sport. I think it's just a matter of deciding it's your time. You deserve to take this time. You are passionate about what you're doing. You have the support of family and friends around you to create a network. I think men need to create a network as well. Mm -hmm. You hire a great coach. um, And then you really work on your, it's the work life balance, family mm-hmm. balance. And that's um, that's something that women are really good at. I mean, we have that in our back pocket. It's just that we take on so much. We're good at doing a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. It's the permission we give ourselves to say, it's my time to pick something I want to do now for me and mm-hmm. let everyone come on board. Well, I mean, we talked about this year in Kona having two days and, um, Everybody says, oh, Thursday was the ladies' race. I'm not, I'm not sure. Well, it wasn't really, was it? It was 50-50. But I hope, you know, my hope is that in future years, Ironman expands the number of opportunities for female athletes to get there. So we do have two completely separate races, all the men racing on one day, all the ladies racing on the next day. I don't know how far off that is from happening, Um but it would be great. And it would be great also if they swapped those days around. So it went from Thursday to Saturday and back. Um, you know, again, your thoughts? 
Well, I think they've committed. I mean, they said 2023 is the first all women's wave and we're, we're, you know, women for try, which I'm involved with the Ironman foundation being on their board and then working um, for the different, different mm-hmm. facets the different uh, that all fall under the umbrella of Ironman foundation that is in the works. I mean, that is, that's going to happen unless something unforeseen steps in. So we will have our first all women's race. We will have Joanne Murphy um, on the microphone as one of our, you know, the, you know, that one of the top announcers with Mike yeah. Riley gone, there's no lead announcer anymore, but Joanne Murphy um, and another uh, gal, uh, Clarissa, Clarissa. Um, I can't remember her last name. Um, she's going to be uh, also on the announced team. So we've got women's voices. Um, we certainly have, you know, the all women's race, uh, that's in place. I mean, Uh, That's great. I mean, I could see every year in Kona, they have, and I'm sure you've been there. um, They have this um, Aloha reception at the Huli'i Palace. mm -hmm. And they usually have the past men's and women's champion there to kind of honor them. I could see having the past men and women's champion there drawing, you know, like drawing for set, you know, Thursday or or Saturday, you know, kind of flipping a coin or Mm -hmm. whatever it was. They're both standing there. They flip the coin and, it's Thursday or they can't do that obviously because they have to do so much prep, but the idea that somehow it's, you know, it's, it is alternated. I think the women had the harder day. I mean, I, that's not an original thought. I heard that by people who are, you know, far more, you know, detail oriented than I am, but with the winds, with the heat, it was Mm -hmm. a tougher day. Um, Mm -hmm. So those fantastic times the men got, on Saturday, were you know, thank you. They should be thanking the women mm-hmm. um, yeah. for those. Uh, but it's, uh, yeah, I I like the idea that it's it could alternate for sure. But I was talking to somebody who had the opportunity to either be a challenged as a as a challenged athlete or in his age group. I said, go on Thursday, get it get it done. I mean, the idea, the energy in Kona when you're there, you know very well. It's intense. And that's just two more days of, of percolating in that intensity. To mm-hmm. So I think the idea of racing first day is really cool. Mm. Yeah, maybe that maybe that coin toss can be about next year's racing, can't it? You know, um, it'd be probably be too close to say you, you, this week you race Thursday or Sunday, but maybe maybe they could do next year. Yeah, year's. exactly. They yeah. can have it as a, you know, kind of early on and where it's kind of this ceremonial thing, yeah. podcasts now or Zooms, you can bring them together. They can toss the coin and it's like, okay, here we go. This is, this is the order. But that, well, that's what we're all looking for now, isn't it? In the TV stuff is little moments that we can publicize for clickbait and to get people's attention. So that will be just another one of those that they can big up for a, like the pre, like the pre-match weigh-in that the boxers have, you know, where they're sort of a, sure. like that. You could have uh, Chelsea and Dick Gustav sort of <laughs> sparring a little bit over the coin. There you go. Um, so before we finish, Julie, let's tell me about your new book. I mean, it's called The Crawl of Fame. So I guess I know what it might be about. Um, I'm always interested when I speak to people about what the strategies were for writing the book. Did you go about it in the same way you did training for your first Ironman and just pile it all in at the end there? Or did you have a very planned strategy? It was more of a planned strategy, Simon. I actually was, um, I had read a book by uh, 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 a gentleman who I went to high school with and I really liked his book. It was about a, a professional surfer um, who has autism and he, he doesn't function as well any place except in the water is where he functions the best. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's very high functioning in all areas, but where he's super great is in the water. And 
the book was called Just Add Water. And I love the title. I love the book. And I reached out to Robert Yaling and I said, hey, Robert, um, I've been asked over and over again, when are you going to write a book? And I thought, I would love to write a book, but I'm not a writer. However, you're a writer. Are you, you think you might be interested? He said, um, I'm totally interested. Let me contact my, my agent. And um, within, I'd say like an hour, he phoned back. She's excited. We're on. So I went from having, you know, not being a writer to having a co-writer, mm-hmm. having an agent and getting, you know, a publishing deal all within, you know, a very short period of time. So a little bit like my first Ironman, I had this idea of doing an Ironman. And the next thing you know, I'm almost winning the race. So um, this is, this is not untypical of me when I kind of, my, I fixate on something. Um, I love the way when the universe lines it up in a way that surprises me and excites me. Mm -hmm. So the book is really a a memoir. It's really, I thought I have a son who's just, he's turning 29 um, next month. He has been around this sport um, peripherally. I wanted him to kind of know my story. Um, And then he's got chapters in the book because he's gone on to have his own kind of endurance journey. Um, We we trained and raced together uh, for a period of time. That was another the highlight of, you know, coming back later in life is to be able to race with your son. Mm-hmm. And he's he's a decent athlete. He wasn't he didn't pursue the professional side. I'm not disappointed about that. I think mm-hmm. he's got a lot of other crazy good things that he's doing. So it was a chance to um, to connect with my son um, and then to just get this story down, because I have been asked so many times to take the time and energy to really to look at it and to look at other parts of my life, the good, it all, I, I let it all hang out. And someone said, Oh, I, I just appreciate how transparent you are. I said, well, that's the only way you should be. You should be mm-hmm. transparent and totally committed um, with what you do in life. I think so. Did, did you find it quite cathartic then to um, get all these thoughts down on, on paper or have you spent so much of your life recounting them anyway, in your public speaking opportunities that, that it, you've already done all of that process. The sports part wasn't so cathartic because that was just more like a kind of getting, getting it down and, you know, talking about, you know, fun training, um, adventures, racing with other athletes. That was, that was kind of fun. You know, the cathartic part was when, when things weren't going well and why I I came back to triathlon to kind of crawl out of these, Mm -hmm. these, these deep valleys. I always say in an Ironman, it's how you manage the valleys. It's the mm-hmm. peaks are great. It's how you manage the valleys, you know, in a long day. Well, in life, it's how do you manage the valleys? And sometimes I didn't do so well. I was an absolute disaster. And to kind of own that as well as the, as the high points was cathartic. Well, Julie, it's been an absolute pleasure today um, chatting with you. Thank you. I will make sure I get a copy of the book and uh, we'll certainly signpost people towards that on the uh, show notes for the podcast. So again, many appreciative thoughts for you being here today. Thank you, Simon. And we'll have to do another chat. I love uh, your whole concept of the work-life balance with your athletes. I think it's not paid enough attention to, and you certainly highlight that um, with your athletes. And I'd like to talk to you more about it and go to amazon.com and order the book if you want. I will do much appreciated and uh, enjoy the rest of your day, Julie. And we'll speak to you again soon. Bye-bye. Thank you so much to Julie for being a guest on this week's High Performance Human podcast. As usual, you can find links to all of today's discussion topics in the show notes below, including 
that famous ABC Ironman coverage. To make sure you don't miss any episode in the future, please go to iTunes, search for High Performance Human Triathlon Podcast, and click the subscribe button. Also, don't forget to check out the links for joining our SWAT community. So that's all for now. Have a great week, and I will see you on the next episode.